You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to use them. It's a pretty good thing to do with Bibles. Uh, or you can just turn to the screen here. Okay, so I'm going to do something a little different. Today is going to be like a teaching day. Um, and we're going to do some practices today. So it's going to be very different than what we have done in a while. For those who are not new here, um, this should not be too unusual for you if you're faithful in your gathering. You know we do this from time to time. Even sometimes I have a whole series for this. But today I want to do something particular. So we're going to talk about patience because I do believe that one of the things that gets in the way of God cultivating the kind of unity we long for and need is a lack of patience. Sure, we could say it's a lack of love, a lack of commitment, a lack of compassion because remember, one of the, one of the things we have said over and over again is that unity is not something we work for. Unity is something that we have to, to hold that comes out of a life of love and faithfulness and hospitality. Unity is the outcome of faithfulness in the people of God. And when we see that outcome, we hold to that outcome. Now, there's a couple of things we could do when we're talking about something like patience. I could stand up here and I could preach, you know, stuff on patience, right? And I could talk about, you know, we're called to be patient, so you should be patient. The Holy Spirit will make you patient, but you have to learn how to be patient. And then you'd probably get impatient with that. Because it would create a kind of anxiety, right? Because you're like, uh, like I, I know I need patience. Like, and so we could do that. I'll never forget, years ago, I had a dear, dear sister come up to me and say, Fred, I need a verse on gluttony. I said, a verse on gluttony, that's, that's specific. And they said, well, I need a verse on gluttony. I said, why do you need a verse on gluttony? I said, well, I struggle with the sin of gluttony. I said, so you need me to give you a verse on gluttony that tells you gluttony is a sin because you struggle with the sin of gluttony somehow thinking that being told gluttony is a sin is going to make you sin less about a sin you already know is a sin? And they're like, don't give me a verse on gluttony. Like, <laughs> enough for it. I said, no, you need a verse on liberation, you need a verse on freedom, and you need practices. Everybody say practices. We come from an Eastern tradition. That is our faith. Our faith is from an Eastern framework. It's from an Eastern tradition. It's an embodied, practiced faith. We are the ones who began living in our heads. God has called us to live in our heads, our hearts, and our bodies. So today what we're going to do is going to live in our bodies for a little while. But I am going to talk a little bit about patience so you can at least know that I did something with the Bible this morning. Just kidding. We're going to talk about it. And uh, I know, right? Uh, for those who are visiting, they're like, eh, do we, uh, I don't know if we need to stay. Bear with us. We're glad you're here. Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what it says. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness. Say it with me. With patience, bearing with one another in love. Notice that patience is tied to bearing with one another in love. Making every effort, everybody say effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice it doesn't say to produce it. It says to keep it. Here's the problem with the word patience. The word patience literally means long-suffering. It means to suffer long. One of the reasons we're so impatient is we don't know how to suffer well. So we don't often suffer long. But it's not the best word in the world, because who likes to suffer? Patience means to suffer long. 
And when you read Paul, Paul seems to be really concerned about patience, so much so that Paul allows the word patience to be placed right up there at the top of all the other Christian virtues that we like a little better, like compassion and kindness and gentleness. But patience is of high value to our Creator God. Never forget, years ago I was listening to, this was before Ian was born, and Allison was pregnant, and I was thinking about what it meant to be a dad, and I had no idea and I was listening to this station, I don't even know what station it was, and some preacher came on, really good preacher, can't remember his name, clearly he left a mark on my life. <laughs> and he said, if you want to raise your children well, then teach them to suffer well. And at first I thought, what a negative, like pessimistic way to go at parenting. I mean, you know, and you could use that however you want, you know, right? Like, I love you and that is why you suffer. Like, that's not how it works. But I thought about what that meant, and I thought, you know, Ian's going to sit at mine and Allison's funeral. We live in a world where bullets and bombs fall from skies on people and where battles and wars in Ethiopia rage. And we live in a world where just two and a half years ago, we were going about our business, give or take three years ago, and all of a sudden, pandemic. We're an impatient people, generally, many times because we just don't know how to suffer well. And we live in a society where everything is instant, where we get everything as we want it. This morning I ate a breakfast sandwich. It was actually really good, and I microwaved it. I know, don't judge. It took 45 seconds for me to feel really good about the morning. And that's how we think. We need everything now. And then when we open the Bible and we read the scriptures, and we flip from one page to another, we see how the stories of people evolve. We see, okay, here's the problem, flip the page, oh, the Lord delivered. And what we don't think about is how it was 17 or 30 or 15 or 12 years between verse 1 and verse 4. So we assume that how God works is that God works kind of in a microwave sort of way so long as we, you know, step in, right? So long as we present ourselves to God, we're like, God, you made promises, you know, 45 seconds good, you know, click, boom, fruit of the Spirit, I'm patient, right? Like, that's not how it works, and we know that. Paul wants us to understand that we will either learn patience or we will give in to impatience, and so in Colossians 3, once again, he elevates patience as this kind of virtue level to this idea of humility and gentleness and kindness. He says in Colossians 3, verse 12, therefore as God's chosen ones, chosen ones, you see that? I am God's what? Chosen beloved, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. Everybody say put on. The language for put on is like put on your shoes, put on your shirt, put on your glasses, put on your coat put on. We have a responsibility in this somehow. Somehow. I want to talk about that in a bit. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. There it is again. It's almost like the Holy Spirit told Paul, Christian folk going to have to learn how to bear with one another, and it's going to take patience to do that. Long suffering. You got to learn to suffer long if you're going to love Fred. Most of y'all know that. No, it's true. I'm, I'm with it. I'm here for it. And you got to be here for it too. <laughs> Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also 
to forgive. Patience, long-suffering. The school of patience is, believe it or not, not people who live in your house. The place we learn patience the fullest is in the life of the community of faith. Because we are a community of difference who wouldn't choose each other if we were oftentimes given the choice, but who are brought together as members of the household of God to learn how to love one another and be long-suffering toward one another, especially those who calls us from time to time, who calls us suffering. And Paul, when he values this patience, and you read Paul's story, you can almost see that Paul's value of patience may come from Paul's own reflection of his own experience with God himself. See, before Paul was a Christ follower, he was a murderous terrorist. He terrorized Christians because of his political and religious ideology. And look at what he says in 1 Timothy when he writes to this young pastor named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1.16, he says, But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary what? Patience. As what, Paul? As an example. As an example to us, to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Beloved, if God can save and liberate and redeem a terrorist, and in that redemption use a terrorist to plant churches and write two-thirds of the Christian scriptures, what does that say of God's long-suffering and patience toward us? See, Paul reminds us that the same long-suffering extended to him was intended to reveal the kindness of God. The kindness of God. And it's the same long-suffering that God extends to me and you. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of God's kindness, restraint, and what? Patience. Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Notice harsh words don't lead us to repentance. Notice God's judgment and the fear of turn or burn. It's God's kindness. It's not judgmentalism. It's God's kindness. And this truth of God's patience that makes room for God's kindness toward us reminds us that we can, we can hold on to patience in a world of suffering. We can learn to suffer long and suffer well in a world filled with suffering. It is unavoidable, this world of suffering. And I recognize that some of us want to come to a gathering and ignore the bullets and the bombs that are falling in the Ukrainian streets. We want to ignore the protests in Russia. We want to ignore the bullets flying through city, city centers. We want to ignore the plight of people and the injustices in which they live. We want to come here and we just want a good thing. We want to hear something. And you know why we want that? It's because we've grown impatient. 
We don't know how to suffer well, so we aren't going to be able to suffer long. And the world will challenge us to suffer long. And the Holy Spirit of God will teach us and empower us to suffer well. Because that is where patience is found. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, verse 24, that in this hope we were saved, this hope of redemption, this hope of God making all things new. That's the context. That is, that, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with what? Patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses when we find ourselves struggling with all of this, right? How does the Spirit help us? When we don't know how to pray? The Spirit makes inexpressible groanings for us. Sometimes all we can do is come to God and say, I'm here. And sometimes that's all we ever have to do because the Spirit will speak. Facts over feelings, beloved. The feelings will be we don't feel that way. The facts of faith will be the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit said the Holy Spirit will do. There's a little phrase in here, um, eagerly wait. We eagerly wait the word eagerly wait in the Greek means it, it, it's expressed in tippy-toes. It's the image of tiptoes. And I love this because what the scripture is saying is we stand on our tiptoes in hope with patience because God has made a promise and God will keep the promises God makes. And when we groan, the spirit groans and patience is produced not because we mustered it up, but because we simply showed up. And not only do we see this in Jesus and the life of the first disciples, we can look back even to the life of the prophets. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in James chapter 5, verse 10. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of what? Suffering and patience. We know the ministry of the prophets. We need to know the ministry of the prophets. You want to know what, what patience looks like? Yes, we look to Jesus. Yes, we look to disciples. But we look to the prophets who spoke truth to power in a world given to injustice who had to be patient for the redemption and the promises of God to come. And the prophets knew what we sometimes forget and that a life of patience is reflective of a life shaped by godly wisdom. Listen to the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 32 Patience is better than power. Mm. Come on now. I'm going to read that again. Patience is better than what? Power. Boy, if the world only thought that. Patience is better than power. Boy, if Fred only thought that. Patience is better than power in controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Proverbs 19.11, a person's insight gives him patience. And his virtue is to overlook an offense. So I could stand here and I could say, now, go be patient. And we're going to talk more about patience so that you feel the weight of your own impatience and feel guilty and a bit shamed by your impatience and then tell you to be patient. Just like we do to children when they start getting impatient and we look at them and say, be patient, as if that really works. Right? That's like somebody looking at you and saying, Relax. Be patient. Oh, you know what? I suddenly am. I wish somebody would have just told me. You know why that doesn't work? Because things happen inside of our bodies. Raise your hand if you've ever had a stress headache. 
So what does that tell you then? The stress you feel in your body can result in a what? Headache. Raise your hand if you ever had a stressed stomachache. Only the brave ones are like, some of y'all like, TMI. No, stressed stomachache. Raise your hand if you ever had dry mouth. Sweaty palms. Y'all are gross. Um, <laughs> just a, why, why, what does that tell you? That what we feel on the inside manifest itself physically in our bodies. In the world of trauma studies, we say that trauma nests in the body, has the power to rewire the brain, maybe even make the nervous system dysfunctional, certainly manifest itself in physical realities and physical issues. Now, for those who are visiting and don't know, this isn't a receipts thing, but just so you understand where this is coming from, Trauma is a big part of my own personal upbringing and life, et cetera, yes, but also trauma is a part of my study. It's a part of my work. It's a part of my vocation. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about how this manifests itself in our bodies. I want to talk about how a lot of times we have planned our lives out, and then life goes a different way, and it does something to us. Raise your hand if you've ever felt on edge. Raise your hand if somebody loves you and told you you're edgy today. Yeah, some of y'all are like, oh, about two hours ago. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've ever just shut down and you just can't and you can barely get out of bed, much less think. Raise your hand if you don't want to be on edge, but you can't seem to get off of edge, if that's ever been a way for you. Right. What's that about? Raise your hand if you know you can't get out of bed, you know you should get out of bed, you really want to get out of bed, but you just can't seem to bring yourself to get out of bed. Right. What's that about? You know what that's about? It's about our nervous systems. It's about something we call a window of tolerance. Everybody say window of tolerance. All right, so buckle up because this is going to get strange, but stay with me because we're going to learn something today. And if you've been here a while, you'll know that we do these practices from time to time. We're going to do it again today. Everybody say window of tolerance. Window of tolerance. When our windows are open, that window of tolerance is the intersection between our brain and our nervous system. You with me? It's the intersection between our brain and nervous system where we are able to process intense emotions in healthy ways. Are you with me? Come on, stay with me. Don't look at the slide yet. It's when we can process intense emotions in healthy ways. When our windows are open and something goes wrong, we can handle it okay. I mean, it's disorienting. It stresses us out, but we function. Are you with me? The car breaks down, inconvenient, Makes us a little uneasy, but we are able to function. The bill comes and the money's not there. We get stressed out, but we're able to function. That is a sign when I'm able to process within my brain and my nervous system intense emotions in a healthy way, in a way that doesn't go off on others, go off on myself, shut down on others, shut down on myself. That means my window is open. My window of tolerance is open. You with me? Now, real quick about nervous systems. We have an autonomic nervous system in our body. And if you don't know what the nervous system does, that autonomic nervous system is it's what keeps our hearts beating. None of you can make your heart beat. Stay with me on this. Your heart just beats. Why? Your nervous system. That's how much power your nervous system has that you have zero conscientious knowledge of. Nobody woke up and said, I'm going to make my heart beat today. Autonomic nervous system keeps our respiratory system moving. It's how we digest food. 
I doubt any of you have eaten food and said, well, I'm going to have to work hard to digest this burger tonight. You just digest the burger or you don't. It's what your nervous system does. Now, our nervous system has three branches. I'm not smart enough to talk about the third one, but I think I might be able to get my way around the two, the other two. There's a sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Everybody say sympathetic nervous system. I want you to think of that nervous system as the activation system. Everybody say activation system. When the activation system is aroused, that means I am on high alert. Does that make sense? So if you've ever felt adrenaline, if you've ever felt cortisol running through your body, stress hormones, if you've ever felt the warm and fuzzies in your body and you feel the pressure moving, you feel your blood pressure rise, maybe you feel your heartbeat working, that's your, auto, that's your sympathetic nervous system, your activation nervous system saying, watch out. And that is a fight-flight response. Are you with me? Come on, stay with me. I need you to know that because when we live that way too long, that's when, once that nervous system resolves, once the activation nervous system resolves, that's where we're left with a headache. The headache and the stomachache is the after effects of the nervous system going a little hyper overdrive. Are you with me? So when our activation system is up, we're fight-flight mode. That's when we're aggressive. That's when we're confrontational. That's when we're edgy. That is when our impatience shows up in ways that can be relationally or personally harmful. Are you with me? Because now we're in fight flight. That's when I become conflict avoidant. That's when I run. Now, when our parasympathetic nervous system, which we can call our relaxation system, everybody say relaxation system. Stay with me. I'll explain this in a minute. Stay with me so you get the content. Don't go straight to the practical. Stay with me on the content. When our relaxation system is at work and it becomes overwhelmed, everybody say overwhelmed. We move into freeze or fawn. I'm going to talk about freeze in a minute, fawn in a minute. We move into freeze or fawn. That means that's our digestive system. So our activation system is our hyperarousal system. That's the system we need when we need to fight and flight, when we need to survive. That is our brain working with our nervous system saying, you aren't safe, do something. That's the activation system. So do something, do something aggressive, do something assertive. That's the activation system. When the relaxation system is at work, that is our body saying, you are not safe, retreat, 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 retreat. Shut down, be done, protect. You with me? Or if it's fawn, Fawn is the word that means I avoid conflict by becoming a people pleaser. I start fawning after approval and people pleasing, and I'm conflict avoidant. I, it may even circle back to unhealthy relationships that are harmful to me because it's just simply what I know. Does that make sense? So this is when, when I'm in, when I'm in fight and flight, my response is going to be kind of an aggressive confrontation, kind of attack. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be hyper alert, maybe paranoid. I'm going to insult things that disagree with me. You with me? Those liberals, those conservatives. Bro, sis, like, that's you with an activation system going crazy because that ain't the talk of Jesus, people. You feel me? That's insult. That's dismissive. When I'm in that flight place, that's where I run, hide, avoid. I may be living in denial. I'm anxious about it. I don't want to admit it. I don't want to see it. No, no, no. Don't tell me about it. No, no, don't tell me about it. Don't tell me about it. I cannot handle that. That's literally my nervous system saying I can't handle that. My window is what? Closing. 
when I'm in activation mode and I'm in fight flight, my window is what? Closing. My nervous system and my brain is running amok with me in a moment, probably to survive because I feel threatened. And that's why you can't tell me to calm down because you don't have the lever or the button to pull in my nervous system and change it. That is a nervous system thing. No more than you can tell somebody who has a headache, yo, yo, hey, 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 stop having a headache. That doesn't work. So we have patience as a virtue, but we have bodies living in this world that complicate a lot of these things. Patience isn't the only one. Compassion, kindness, gentleness. Our nervous system and brains and bodies work. When I find myself in this place of compliance and surrender, where I'm just numb emotionally, I shut down, I detach from the situation or the people, and I begin to rationalize my detachment. That's my relaxation nervous system being overwhelmed, telling me to protect myself, and I'm in freeze or fawn mode. So first thing I need you to know about all of this quickly When you have felt this way, and you do feel this way, and you will feel this way, be gentle with yourself at the very least. Your nervous system and brain is on alert. You don't just get over it. And that is okay. You with me? So be gentle with yourselves. By the way, we as we're Christian church people sitting in this room today learning about this, when someone you love is in this space... You now know something, don't you? They're not just being away. Something's going on in the nervous system and the brain. There's an intersection there, and that window of tolerance is closing. Your job at that point is to be what? Gentle. Don't try to force the conversation. The window's closing. That's not helpful. Now, for those of us who know we need to have the conversation, we can't walk around the rest of our lives with closed windows. That's not sustainable, and it's not discipleship. The Lord can liberate us and help us learn how to open windows. And that is the good news. Windows can be open. You with me? We have a sympathetic Christ. You ready for this? For our sympathetic nervous system. that lame? I know. Like, but I told, like, wrote that and thought that was ridiculously clever. It's not clever at all. It's pretty lame. But we do. We have a sympathetic Christ for our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. We have a Christ who understands, like we talked about last week, everything we feel, everything we've gone through, understands our weaknesses. Jesus had a nervous system and a brain. Have you ever thought about that? So the first things first is understand that these aren't voluntary responses. They're involuntary responses that we then, once aware of them, can do something with them. What did you just hear me say? (laughs) In other words, how do we submit our lives to the Spirit of God? We participate in the Holy Spirit's work. How do we participate in the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our lives? We recognize what's going on. We call it self-awareness. Everybody say self-awareness. We recognize what's going on within oneself, and we submit that to Jesus in that moment through practices. Are you with me? Here's the problem. If we're not a self-aware person, we're never going to know when our windows are closed or open, and that's going to be problematic for our lives. So what God does is God puts people in our lives who will let us know when those windows are closed so we can learn to be aware of self. 
That is called Christian community. That's why it says bearing with one another. Are you with me? Our God is a magnificent creator who designed us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made with nervous systems and brains and organs and bodies and hair and skin and eyes and noses, and it's just, we're just a beautiful thing. But we are full-bodied people, and God did not call us into a discipleship of our souls. He called us into the discipleship of our whole selves, which includes our bodies. And we know that because James talks about taming the tongue, right? So that should tell us that Yahweh wants, God wants to deliver us from our own captivity that is held by this world that breaks into our lives and causes our bodies to move into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. When we have an open window of tolerance, we can do the fifth F, which is face. We are able to have confrontation that is measured. Everybody say measured. That is actually patient. That is gracious. That is kind. We're calm. We're grounded. We're alert, but we're not paranoid. We're engaged, but we're not codependent or completely independent. We are decisive. We're not indecisive in paralysis. When our windows are open, we can function and process intense emotions in a healthier way because our nervous system is in cruise control. Because our window is open and we've cultivated something called resilience, which we would call theologically evidence of a maturing faith. You with me? Evidence of a maturing faith. Because Paul knew something that we needed to remember. See, Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, what? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of you. So here's the good news. The good news, you can't muster up patience. So the implication to the good news is please stop telling people to be patient because they can't muster it up any more than you can. The good news is that the Holy Spirit wants to produce patience, and the other part is your responsibility is to learn what it means in your body, with your brain, with your mind, with your relationships, with your history. You have to learn what is best for you to submit your life to Jesus, to actually put yourself in a position to be formed by the Spirit. Does that make sense? So you have to learn the practices that work for you, for Janet. What are the practices that click with how Janet's made and Donnie's made? What are the practices? For some of us, it's reading Scripture, and that's great. For some of us, it's just basic prayer. For some of us, we need breath prayer. For some of us, we need to tap. We're going to do all this in a minute. For some of us, we need to tend to actual body grounding. For some of us, we need to give ourselves a hug to remind ourselves that our bodies are safe. For some of us, we need to call someone who's in our resilience network, that person that when we call them, we just feel good about life because they feel like home. Whatever it is, for some of us, it's walking outside. For some of us, it's music. For some of us, it's screaming at the heavens. For some of us, it's art. For some of us, it's exercise. It's clearly not for me, exercise. But for some of us, it is. Whatever it is for you, beloved, where you meet God in that space, and then here's the key. Everybody say the key. Here's the key. It's not just taking a walk. It's taking a walk with the awareness that wherever you walk, Christ is with you. It's not just exercising. It's exercising, realizing that wherever you're exercising, Christ is with you. And if you're me making fun of you, it's not just music. 
It's when you listen to music, recognizing that Christ who gave you music wired you for music to resonate in your heart in a particular way, and it is a gift of the Creator God who knows you best and loves you most. For some, it's a book. And it's not just reading a book. It's reading a book tending to the truths that come from the purposes of God that you are wrestling with, recognizing that as I sit here, there Christ is with me also. Beloved, what I am trying to say is this isn't just about self-awareness. It's also about a keen sense of God-awareness. And it has to be facts over feelings. Everybody say facts over feelings. Because the nervous system in the brain is going to tell you to feel a kind of way about it. But the fact of your faith is that Christ is with you. Your nervous system and brain is going to tell you it's not possible. But the fact of your faith is that with God, all things actually are possible. And sometimes we need each other to remind one another the difference between facts over feelings. If you've ever walked with me, if I ever walked with you through some dark things, I have used that phrase with you. It has been a mantra in my life for 20 years. Facts over feelings. Feelings are beautiful. Feelings are good. The emotions are gifts. They are beautiful and glorious evidences of the God who created it all. And in a world of suffering, where we are called to sometimes suffer long, our bodies and our brains can just at some point have enough. And we either collapse or we want to scream. And what I say to you, beloved, is collapse. What I say to you, beloved, is scream. And then find ways to submit that scream and that collapse, to submit your full-bodied self to the Holy Spirit of God who can produce in you what you cannot muster on your own. But you have to choose to participate. Everybody say participate. So participation, so we walk in the Spirit. The language in the Bible of walking in the Spirit is active participation in the presence of God. That would be another long-winded way of saying it, that we actively participate in the presence of God, that I walk as if I know that where I go, God is with me, that I'm never outside of God's presence, I'm never outside of God's grace, I'm never outside of God's love, and I am never outside of God's power. And that has the potential to change everything. But what I may need are practices, just like sometimes we need naps. Just like sometimes we need food. Just like sometimes we need silence. I need practices. So I want to give just a small number of practices. All right. <clears throat> Some of you have learned these through other things. Some of you have, uh, maybe you and I have taught through some of these things. But I want to ask everybody to put your feet to the floor, if you can, if it's convenient for you. If that's hard, don't worry about that. So when I'm in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, my nervous system and brain is telling me that I'm in danger. That's what my reptilian brain um, and my nervous system is saying. One of the ways that we remind our nervous systems and our brains that we're not in danger is to use our bodies to do so. We call this a somatic practice. Somatic is a fancy word for body practice. And so what we do is we put our feet to the ground. So put your feet to the ground. Ground your feet. You can either tap your feet or you can just kind of press your feet into the ground. Right now, what you're doing is the nerve endings that go all the way to your feet. Those of us know we have nerves in our feet, right? 
The nerve endings that we have that go all the way to our feet are being activated right now. Just in the same way. Here's the thing. You may not feel a difference. Just like you don't feel your heart beating or you don't feel your respiratory system or you don't feel digestion, that's what your nervous system does beyond your consciousness. What your nervous system always does is always acts beyond our consciousness. So we may not feel it right now, but we will feel it later because what will happen is if we're highly activated and we remind our nervous system that I am safe, that I am secure, my nervous system will ground itself because that is how God made us. Are you with me? So go ahead and put your hands on your knees and either rub your legs, feel that on your fingertips. Raise your hand real quick. I know that I just said, raise your hand if you do this naturally when you're nervous. Anybody? Right. Why do you think that is? That's the response. Because your body's telling you it needs, to, it needs reassurance. As a kid who rubs a blanket. Children teach us more about nervous systems than adults. Children will suck a passy, spin a fidget spinner, rub a blanket, hug a parent, hug a loved one. We can learn from them. So now what we're doing is we're just telling our bodies that we're safer than our nervous system and brains want us to believe. You with me? So this is just one way to do it. You're just telling. Now, don't stop there. What I'm going to ask you to do, and don't do this because, you know, COVID. But what I would say do is you would breathe in through your nostrils, and you would say, Lord Jesus Christ, on your breath in. So you'd say, Lord Jesus Christ, and then through your mouth, exhale, have mercy on me. So now I'm doing this, but I'm breathing. You know what breathing does, right? Oxygen through my blood, my blood slows down. The stress hormones that are flowing through my body between my nervous system and my brain are slowing down. My, my activation is starting to settle back down. My window is beginning to, to open. And I am redirecting my thoughts to the Christ who is with me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Or you might want to pray this. I am your chosen, beloved in whom you are pleased. Or you might even want to say, I am God's beloved. I am a member of God's royal priesthood. You see where the liturgy matters now, y'all? The liturgy? I am a citizen of God's holy nation. The Holy Spirit will meet you in that space. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit might not meet you in 45 seconds like my biscuit did the microwave. The Holy Spirit will do what God says the Holy Spirit will do. And here's the thing. This has to be a practice, not a one-off. Do you understand what I say with not a one-off? This becomes a part of my daily routine. Somatic practice where I ground myself. Everybody do this. Take your hands out. Your ring finger and your thumb. For those of us who struggle with fine motor skills, this may be tricky. But tap. What are you doing? You're activating the nerve endings of your fingers, right? You're sending signals to your body, to your nervous system. You're saying that I'm grounded, that I have a sense of control. Maybe start tapping all fingers. A lot of times trauma, trauma studies people, traumatologists teach these to children in war zones. This is a way of grounding their nervous system in their brains. If you ever study any kind of international global trauma relief, this is one of the things we teach. All right, another way. Some of us may be familiar with this, is tapping. You tap your collarbone. Some people like to tap their foreheads. 
what you're doing is you are giving your sensory experience attention and you're telling your nervous system and brain you are safer than you feel you are. You with me? But here's the key. When you do these things, tend to your breathing. Breathe in through your nose, not through your mouth, through your nose, and out through your mouth. You breathe in and you breathe out and maybe use a breath prayer. What I've done as a part of my breath prayer is I've memorized scripture. So I've literally grounded myself and I've held my phone with a scripture and I would memorize and I'd go, here's the image of the invisible God. Here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And I let my breathing set the rhythm of memory, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's Colossians 1, and I would just keep going. You get the word of God in you, the Holy Spirit's going to do some beautiful things. You open yourself up to it, the fruit of the Spirit will be what? Patience. Because one thing's for certain, when our windows have closed, we are not patient. When our windows are open, patience has a fighting chance. You with me? When we, one of the practices we use um, for children when they're in a place of activation, we call it the four B's. Everybody say the four B's. So a lot of times, I've done this with some of our kiddos who live with ASD, um, autism spectrum disorder, some of the neurodivergent kiddos. I've done this. What we do is we'll say, okay, we do the first thing. We say break. So break is this. Everybody go. Press in. Press in. So break that feeling that there, that muscle, that redirection of the muscles. And then we do it again. Break. Sometimes this helps. This helps redirect some of the energy, some of the, some of the cortisol, stress hormones, redirects it. And then we'll move to the brain. And so we'll put our hands, we'll put our fingers to our heads, and we'll either press in a little bit just to kind of massage our heads. Oh, yeah, best worship service ever. <laughs> I really like do kind of the easy massage. Raise your hand if you like it when somebody does this to you. Yeah, I know. Don't. That would be weird. I'm just saying. Just. But that, that's so it's break, brain, body, hug, give yourself a hug, some of y'all need it, we swaddle kids, don't we, why do we swaddle kids, it's a safety, it's a security, it's I'm safe, hug, and then of course the last B is breathing, we breathe, if you have a child that's kind of in a moment of activation and they're in what we like to call a meltdown, that's not a meltdown, that means their window of tolerance is what? So here would be my dream. My dream is that Williamsburg Christian Church members would start using the language of window of tolerance, right? Like even in your spouses, even in your home, if you're married or with your friends or even with one another, hey, we need to have a talk. How's your window? I think my window's open. Well, let's see. (laughs) Or, you know what? Casey, my window, I'm not there. And then Casey says to me, How can I pray for you in this then? You see what just happened? Just in that simple exchange, how's your window? What if instead of how you're doing, we said, how's your window? See, because this concept of a window of tolerance that is a part of trauma studies, this this concept of a window of tolerance isn't just self-awareness, it's also others' awareness. If my brother Chuck is having a hard day and I'm noticing that he's a little edgier than normal, 
then I already know that his window of tolerance is closing. Then I'm not going to engage Chuck on that hard conversation. Some of y'all, I ain't trying to be funny, but some of you guys like have no sense of emotional and relational boundaries. When you've got something to say, you just need to say it. You know what that's an indication of? Your window is what? Closing. So you know what you might not want to do? Say it. Don't. Give yourself time to process whatever that emotion is so that your window opens. This requires some self-awareness. Matter of fact, if you want to say it to someone, if you have to say it to someone, you ready for this? Give it to Jesus. <laughs> like, say it to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus will meet you there. It's about the only time give it to Jesus really works. Guys, a phrase. Because the good news is, when we submit our full-bodied selves to the Holy Spirit of God who actually resides in us and works among us and between us, the Holy Spirit of God will produce in us what we lack. But we have to give God something. It is active participation in the presence of the Spirit. Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. That's what Dallas Willard taught us. We move forward in active participation of the Spirit. So how would your relationships be different if you started thinking in terms of windows of tolerance and recognizing that if you're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, the ability to face something is going to be complicated. Be gentle with yourself. The Holy Spirit of God will cultivate in you because you'll have to wait the Holy Spirit of God will cultivate with you, within you a kind of patience that you need to suffer long through whatever it is you're having to process. Because I believe that's what the Holy Spirit promises to do. Again, I want to remind us, this isn't going to happen in three days or in three weeks. I have no idea when it will happen. But here's the thing. Go back to that last slide if you don't mind, Sherry. Find the ways in which your window of tolerance opens. And make sure that you are with Christ in that place. This requires intentional discipleship. This requires that we be Christ followers who trust that God is with us and that we are with God. You don't have to fight for God's attention. You only have to learn to give God your attention. This is just about living with a sense of awareness. If Christianity is a church-only event for you, this will be hard. But if you move toward the awareness of the presence of Christ in your life, church will happen. And y'all, this is why church matters. This is not only why the community matters, this is why the gathering matters. Because at some point we're going to come to this table. And we're going to come to this table and we're going to embrace a practice. And we're going to embrace a practice that requires all of our senses. Have you thought about that with the Eucharist? Touch, taste, smell, community, body, hear, see. It's, the, it's a full sensory experience, the Eucharist is. God chose a meal that is a full sensory experience because he knows we're full-bodied people in need of full sensory experiences. Receive this as the full sensory experience that it is. Trusting that as you receive the bread and the body of Christ, you are receiving the promise of God that love, joy, peace, and patience is possible. So, beloved, let's come to the table.
You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 